This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Welcome to the Wonderful World of Remnant Radio. In this program, we're going to be discussing uh, the sometimes compared charismatics to cessationists, saying that charismatics might be a little bit more immoral than cessationists. Is that a thing? We're diving into it today. Stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma, together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC. We set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick? And how do we interpret tongues? And should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? If you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. Guys, we have a fantastic episode for you today. We're diving into the subject of morality. It's going to be a little of a sticky subject. So I want to tell you, if you've got little ones with little ears, this might not be the podcast you want to be playing in the car stereo. Uh, Maybe put that away for a later time. But before we dive into the subject, I want to remind you that Remnant Radio is an entirely crowdfunded program. So if you want to support the channel, you can do so in the links of the description. You can give a one-time gift on PayPal or you can give a reoccurring gift on Patreon. As low as five bucks a month, you'll get access to extra content. Also, as I am talking about all the really cool things and ways that you can support Remnant, this is a really great one right here. The Word and Spirit School of Ministry registration opened last week on Saturday. So I would really encourage you check out that over there. Uh, the Word and Spirit School of Ministry links at the bottom of this video. Uh, if you check out the, uh, the course, you'll find that we have 117 videos uploaded there to WSSM. You watch those content, you go to a live Q&A on Saturdays, and then you break out into small groups. But some of you have said, hey, I don't have time for uh, a kind of Saturday night, two hour window to pour myself into something like that. But that's okay. We actually set up a new system where we have Mondays and Wednesdays available for people who register. Those will fill up pretty quickly. So I would encourage you to jump on that if that kind of fits you in your description of where you're at. Uh, We will have live Q&A on Saturday still so you can submit your questions, but your small group breakout time and practice time can be on Mondays, Wednesdays, and maybe some other uh, weekdays in case we get those bumped up. Without further ado, let me introduce you to my co-hosts. Roundtree, how are you doing over there in Oklahomers? I'm doing good, man. I'm, la- I'm laughing. There's a comment in the chat. Everybody's already getting started. Kevin Oliver writes, hashtag free basement boy. And uh, Kevin, <laughs> we, man, we, have, we have tried so many times to get him out of that basement, but it's really, uh, you're going to have to appeal to his wife and um, she, she keeps him in there. And I, I understand. I, I I've actually lived with Miller before, and um, he's, and I he's not a safe to person. In too. <laughs> Look at me. Look at that guy with hair. <laughs> Miller, you have hair. Look at me. You're, you're the only person I know that has like a great head of hair, and you always cover it. Why do you do that? Except I like sex- accessories, bro. I like uh, scarves, hats, <laughs> <A> little <laughs> gloves. A little there. I don't know everything. 
Okay. (laughs) Well, guys, we are excited (laughs) about today's show. Uh, The question is, are charismatics immoral? Josh, uh, where do we rank on the holiness scale? What would you say? Uh, Man, uh, I I would say we are just as wretched, just as much bought with the blood as all other groups within Christendom uh, with a sin nature like everyone else's. So personally, I'm going to go with neutral. Uh, I think that uh, the work of the Spirit can be seen across denominational lines uh, in groups that are cessationist. We believe that they have the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit regenerates them, uh, sanctifies them, draws them to deeper love and affection for Christ. Uh, And I would say that of the same uh, when it comes to the charismatic denominations, except that those charismatic denominations believe that there is outward power of the Spirit to be used to, one, edify the body and glorify God. Um, I would fall into that category myself, but I would not deny uh, that the gifts of the Spirit, um, <laughs> or we, I would not deny that those who are cessationists who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit somehow have less of the Holy Spirit or somehow more sinful. And yet it seems like there is a claim, certainly from John MacArthur uh, and other charismatics, we're going to be looking at John MacArthur specifically today, that, that claim that the charismatic movement for some reason is a little bit more sinful and a little bit more, um, I guess, outside of orthodoxy when it comes to their practice. Uh, Roundtree, do you want to kind of lay up kind of what the show is going to look like today, the different things that we're going to be kind of addressing? Yeah, but you kind of actually already answered the question, so we maybe don't even need to do this episode. Program <laughs> no, over. I'm joking, but a- actually we are going to walk through some of MacArthur's claims. I mean, MacArthur is one of the most prominent and vocal critics of uh, of the charismatic movement, and uh, and so in his book, Strange Fire, Uh, He claims these things, and we'll be addressing uh, each of these claims. Number one, that the immoral, uh, he'll be addressing, or he brings up the immoral origins of the founder of the charismatic leader, namely Charles Parham. And so we'll talk about uh, a little bit about what MacArthur claims, as as well as our responses to it. Uh, Number two, the frequency of moral scandals in the charismatic movement. And number three, the inability of charismatics to hold their own accountable. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through each of these claims uh, and and we'll give our our responses and we'll try to compare and contrast this uh, the charismatic movement versus the cessation uh, cessationist I don't think you call it movement but uh, <laughs> branch of Christianity. And uh, Miller, so uh, so I've kind of teed that up. Could you maybe clarify a little bit even even further? Uh, some of the issues that we're going to be addressing within sort of like subpoints here. Yeah, sure. So while the three of us on the show are a continuationist and believe that the charismatic gifts are for today, we are not in the same breath going to defend uh, sin. We think sin is bad. Uh, we don't like it. We're going to be sharing content in this video of various sins, uh, racism, various sexual sins, uh, financial corruption, and other sinful infractions. Now, in this, we're not justifying uh, what is blatant and fragrant, fl- fl- not fragrant, flagrant, flagrant. Uh, sins of charismatic leaders. Yeah, fragrant <laughs> sins are the worst. All the stories bro. we're going to be reviewing today. Man, I the mean, fragrant ones, those, yeah, totally. those right. sins stink. Those ones really stink, bro. Michael's in a constant state of sin because of how fragrant. Oh, my fragrant God. Is <laughs> sinful. Keep yes. it going, Miller. Keep it going. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was about to make a... All right, all right. The point we're making here is... That, that, that we'll, we'll keep moving. Go ahead. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the point we're trying to make here is the sins that we're going to mention of these charismatic leaders uh, should be disqualifying. Um, I mean, they should have been placed under church discipline and, if anything, possibly disqualifying them from ministry in general. But uh, MacArthur's response to all of this is that he instructs his, re his readers to distance himself from the charismatic movement because they're all too frequently exposed for their sin. However, this sin is not a logical caution. If you follow this train of thought to the end, you'll find that you cannot even be a Christian because every denomination and movement is composed of sinful people. So uh, MacArthur's side over here, he says, because they're more sinful than most, you need to stay away from them. Um, and because they're sin, you need to stay away from them. Well, if we're to apply that logic to every other Christian denomination, we need to stay away from anything Christian because Christians... Our sinners. That's sort of the, the basic tenet and they come into the faith. And we continue to wrestle with sin and expect that we probably will sin uh, in even after coming to Christ. The goal is not when you sin, but that when or not if you sin, but when you sin, you bring it to the light and repent yeah. and be changed. So and I'll tell you guys just on the front end of this program, I don't know how you guys feel, but I'll tell you, I feel kind of icky doing this. Um, I want to respond to John MacArthur. I mean, this is yesterday's news today. Remnant Radio, yesterday's news today. I mean, this is a book that was made decades ago <laughs> that we're just now responding to. Um, so uh, in, in some there sense, no the arguments need to be challenged. Yeah, that's right. We didn't have a podcast at the time. The whole worldview um, that, that some cessationists have, that charismatics are inherently sinful. The movement itself is inherently sinful. Its inception and frequency of immorality therefore disqualifies it and should cause people to, to, to turn away. That is an argument that I think still exists within cessationism that we as a whole want to reject. So I feel icky just... That's a theological term in case you weren't aware. Uh, I feel icky comparing <laughs> the sins of charismatics even. to like cessationists. I don't feel good about it. I don't like it. I'm not trying to make charismatics look better than cessationists or make cessationists look worse, you know, or, or better themselves. Like comparing sin like this, I don't think is fruitful. However, I didn't start it. Like we're, we're just trying to respond to the, the framing of this already. So I want people to know on the front end, right. this is not a our righteousness is better than your righteousness sort of thing. Um, and again, I, I said this at the top of the show, if you're just now tuning in and you have small ears listening to the program, we're going to be dr addressing and, and kind of talking about some pretty heinous sins. So, uh, maybe, m maybe tune away. Uh, I would say if right. you've got small ears well, in the car with you, Josh, and I, and I would add, it, it, it's not just that we're responding to like a decade old argument from MacArthur that's not been repeated. We're responding to an old argument that's been repeated over and over and over again. Uh, at the top of the show, I noticed in the chat, somebody had said, you know, to the question, are charismatics more immoral? They said, I was just wondering this the other day. So the, the point is that many cessationists fall hook, line, and sinker into this sort of argumentation and believe like, hey, to be a charismatic is to be prosperity gospel, to be a charismatic, uh, is to be uh, Brian Houston and uh, and Benny Hinn and whatever you think of those people. I, I'm just telling you, people who have been embroiled in scandal and they'll just say all charismatics are scandalous, therefore, and, and it just goes on and on. Now, uh, MacArthur really... Uh, pigeonholes like really zeroes in on Charles Parham. Now, if you're not familiar with Charles Parham, uh, he's one of a couple of central figures in the founding of the sort of uh, cons considering sort of a founding father of Pentecostalism. 
Okay. Uh, him along with William Seymour. Now I do find it guys actually fascinating that MacArthur, as far as I know, and I'm, he probably does somewhere and maybe uh, anyway, but I, I don't know where he does talk about William Seymour specifically, particularly as it relates to Seymour's supposed immorality because, uh, William Seymour, uh, had a, a stellar reputation as a believer in Jesus. He was a, a very godly man. And so, uh, anyway, but we'll, you know, he, he picks on Charles Parham here a little bit. And so let, let's address that. Uh, Josh, do you want to, uh, do you want to address some of the charges or maybe kind of get us started on this line? Yeah, totally. Uh, I would say, like you just said, uh, if you're going to pick two, if there's two men that would start the Pentecostal movement, it would be Charles Parham and William Seymour. Charles Parham definitely started the theological framework for Pentecostalism, classical Pentecostalism, but it's clear that William Seymour is the one who popularized it through practice um, and the revival there in Azusa. So it feels like he picked the easier of two targets. It would be the equivalent of putting Martin Luther next to uh, John Calvin and saying Martin Luther started Reformed theology, and let's pick on some of Martin Luther's character flaws, therefore we can get rid of all Reformed theology. Now, Martin Luther certainly started the Protestant Reformation, but John Calvin was the one who popularized Reformed theology. So those, it seems like that's a fair comparison, and he picked maybe the easier of two targets in order to discredit the movement. So I just want to agree with you on that. Um, this is an unsubstantiated claim of sodomy that is brought up within Strange Fire. Uh, John MacArthur writes this, Parham's story quickly gets worse on July 19th. 1907, he was arrested in a hotel in San Antonio, Texas, on the charges of sodomy. He was released from custody four days later. Though he claimed to be innocent, his opponents alleged that he had written a full confession in exchange for his release. In spite of his protest to the contrary, Parham's reputation was permanently uh, besmirched, and he was uh, uh, his influence began to dwindle. So uh, as we look at Charles Parham here, there is an accusation of sodomy against him. Again, it's not substantiated, uh, but it's claimed as uh, uh, it's a it's a it's a claim that, hey, this has happened completely unsubstantiated. Uh, no actual evidence proving this to be the case. Uh, and at the time, Charles Parham had, again, many, many detractors. There were followers of his who had actually beaten a man to death. So the, the news was already targeting Par Parham as this like big cult leader. And then this kind of activity came as probably as a result of some of his bad reputation not saying that this did or didn't happen, but it is to say that it's unsubstantiated. I don't know that you can discredit a man based off of a claim that's not proven. Um, but again, it will see if you if you follow this line of thinking, John takes this, he, he says on the front end, this is just a claim, it's not proven, but later he'll say, well, because of the sexual, not litigations, but the sexual sins and these other sins that he's playing with, he should be discounted. So he's taking a kind of um, rumor and then applying it as if it's true, which is, I don't know, all that helpful. Uh, Roundtree, you've got a, another story in here for us, I think. Yeah, I, I would actually say it's it's irresponsible and unchristian to do that. Agreed. To, just, <laughs> to, to say, well, Pentecostals can't be right because this swirling, unsubstantiated rumor might be true, but let me repeat it to my millions of followers. It's not good. Um, yeah, and you know, even before I I address this next claim, which unlike the allegation, actually uh, was a true claim and mm -hmm. really bad about Charles Parham. But I also want to say this, guys, is that uh, so he's critiquing one of the easiest to pick on founder of the Pentecostal movement, but 
to me, it feels improper to even label uh, to e even for these two to go after to go after either of them as though they're like the spokesman for all that is the charismatic movement today. Because the things that mark the charismatic movement, or the, at least the even charismatics claim, where we talk speaking in tongues and healings and prophecy and casting out demons, these uh, these were present in the church throughout history. In Sam Storm's book, uh, Heavenly, uh, what was it? The Language of Heaven, Heavenly Languages. It's, uh, anyway, his book about tongues. <laughs> he, he goes through all church history of evidence of speaking in tongues. And, uh, and then, gosh, in his other, in his, uh, one of his other books, Understanding Spiritual Gifts, he, uh, he goes through all church history looking at the other gifts as well. And that there's really no period in church history where the gifts were just totally absent. And there certainly was some measure of ebb and flow throughout church history, but that also occurred even throughout the Old Testament where a psalmist is going to say, you know, God, where are your signs and wonders? And, uh, or first Samuel three, one you know, visions were rare in those days. So even when God was continuing to move in times of the old Testament, there was an ebb and a flow. And so we don't deny that there was an ebb and flow throughout church history, but to pin your criticism entirely on one person who defined particularly the Pentecostal movement is really not even proper anyway, because the the primary markers uh, of Pentecostal charismatic movement have really gone back all throughout church history. Parham really kind of just pinpointed especially that sort of second blessing theology associated with uh, Pentecostalism. So nevertheless, we can still respond to this substantiated claim, this time of overt racism. Here's what he says, MacArthur. Using crude racial slurs, Parham denounced white women who consorted with black men in worship at the Azusa mission and deplored that white and black men and women knelt together and fell across one another. Such foolishness, he charged, had followed the Azusa work everywhere. Uh, by the end of his life, Parham openly in endorsed the Ku Klux Klan, publicly praising the organization in 1927. Summarizing Parham's race, racist views, Frederick Harris notes that Pentecostalism's theological founder, Charles Parham, sympathized with the Ku Klux Klan, racially segre segregated students at his Bible school in Topeka, preached against the intermingling of races, and believed that Anglo-Saxons Anglo were the master race. Yeah, that's that's uh, definitely that's terrible. Bad. That's terrible. Um, and, and there's more. Miller, why don't you share some more? Yeah, so this is another little summary of Parham. It says, along with concerns over financial mismanagement, his eccentric doctrines and racist attitudes, Parham became an embarrassment to the Pentecostal movement as it grew in the first decades of the 20th century. But like it or not, contemporary Pentecostals, and by extension, all charismatics, which I would contend with that line right there, are stuck with Charles Parham as the theological architect for their movement. As Anthony Thistleton explains, Charles Parham is widely regarded as the founder of classical Pentecostalism. Parham formulated the classic four marks of Pentecostal theology and experience, salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit, healing, and expectancy of the second coming of Christ. All this raises significant questions about the claims of the modern Pentecostal movement, given the dubious nature of its initial beginnings, from the conflicting testimony of those involved to the nonsensical nature of tongues that were spoken, to the disreputable character of the movement's leader. 
Um, then also later on, MacArthur says, the new Pentecost of the charismatic movement could not have been more different. It grew out of the deficient soteriology of the holiness movement. It was marked by inconsistent eyewitness testimony. It produced counterfeit religious experiences, and it was initiated by disreputable spiritual leaders. Such factors call its legitimacy into serious question. Golly, there's so much in this right there. Um, yeah. So... The, the fact that these doctrines were propagated by Charles Parham and later on William Seymour, I mean, quite literally soon after. I mean, William Seymour, didn't he have to sit outside uh, because oh, yeah. of Parham's racism? He had to sit yeah, outside when, the when church he was in class, just to, to listen to these doctrines? That's right. Yeah, so th there's no doubt that the racism is true. There's no doubt that that Parham had some 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 dubious theology. But... The other thing that he says in here is he just sort of takes for granted that anything else that happened, like tongues being nonsensical in nature, or the, uh, uh, what does he say, the dubious nature from its initial beginnings from the conflicting testimonies of those involved. I mean, it's just like, well, how, how do you know that? How do you know that well, all the experiences they had were disreputable? The testimonies uh, that he is referring to, what do you, uh, Miller, was in the book earlier he had documented. I, I went through and read it again. In, in the book earlier, he had documented how um, the Charles Perham, the first woman that he had laid hands on who'd spoken in tongues, said it happened, um, I forget what day it was on, Labor Day. He says it was the day before Labor Day, something like that, uh, to the effect of there's differences oh, so in the telling the of the off, story. Therefore... Correct. Oh, there's gosh. differences in the story. Yeah, see, that's... Well, but he also calls all the religious experiences counterfeit. And again, right. I'm going, how does he know that? Is it because, yeah, so, oh, because she, she was mistaken on the day that that happened. Therefore, the whole thing never happened at all. It's like, correct. Well, I mean, if you're going to call into question somebody's character and the reliability of their testimony, then I wonder how many things John MacArthur would also be questioned about just because he and his wife don't agree on a particular date of something. So we let's 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 say a couple things between about? the three of us, and I think that we'll all we'll all agree to this. So let's let's get everybody on camera. Let's get let's complete agreement, okay? If Charles Parham is going to your church and he is caught in sexual sin and or uh, these things of racism have been vocalized and you've heard it both in writing and or in person, would you put this guy under church discipline? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yeah, bad, if it, bad stuff. If a if an investigation was done to conclude that this did in fact happen, that he did in fact sin, then, uh, and he was unrepentant, then he would for sure be put under church discipline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, this guy I would say he would be, by no means would be. If he was unrepentant, of, of he would be. Yeah, if he was unrepentant, I would say not only would he have been under church discipline, but he would be put out of the church if he was unrepentant Correct. about these things. He wouldn't Correct. stay in right. yeah. church. So church the discipline problem, taken to its conclusion, yeah. So, so, yeah. and that's, this is one of the areas with Remnant Radio that we might be unique. And, and actually, I remember reading Strange Fire and telling my cessationist buddy, who's now a cessationist, he wasn't then. I said, we need a podcast where there's charismatics unique, who are willing to hold some of our leaders, you know, feet to the fire when it comes to um, aberrant teaching and doctrine uh, and who go outside of the realm of orthodoxy. And I, and I think that Remnant Radio is at least trying to do that in some capacity when we review prophetic words that aren't repented of, that, that don't come to pass when we we grapple with uh, charismatic leaders in the movement when they're addressing doctrines that are both in error and flagrant fouls we we try to address those as much as possible so macarthur is doing this because he doesn't see a lot of charismatics doing this so so i just want to in the same breath as we're saying hey we disagree with one of macarthur's conclusions we agree one these are 
heinous sins that shouldn't be practiced. Two, um, if they're all true, then they, this guy should be put under church discipline. And if unrepented, uh, to be excommunicated from the church of Jesus Christ, we would all be in complete unanimous agreement. The area that we disagree on uh, is that final one. Therefore, anyone who is a part of this movement, you should, you should, in, you should distrust, disbelieve, disown the Pentecostal charismatic movement because of these origins, uh, I would say that's where we would strongly disagree. And, and the reason that we would disagree is both racism and sexual immorality. So uh, sexual immorality claims uh, that might not be substantiated and uh, objective racism has been done in times past of other founders of other denominations, and we don't hold them to the same standard. Many of you know yeah. that Martin well, Luther, the beginning of his life was... I mean, we, uh, we look at Martin Luther's statements. Yeah, That's right. Go ahead. End of his life. Well, I was going to say Martin Luther yeah, yeah. at the beginning well, of his no, life yeah, had we, we a know, lot of positive have, things to on say. On record, several quotes people. of Luther. That's right. Uh, at the beginning ah, of his yeah, life, at the end of his very, life, very positive yeah, he things made a lot of for very... Jewish people. At the end of his life is when he had a bunch of negative stuff to say. Miller, why don't you take it over? Our, our, our resident Jewish person wants to talk about anti-Semitism. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to take it over. I, I mean, that's just one thing. Like, here's the funny thing. I read about Martin Luther's life, and I loved the, bi the biography by Eric Metaxas. And I'm super indebted to Martin Luther, even though I, being a Jew, who also happens to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, you know, would probably feel rather uncomfortable with him if I had met him at the end of his life because of his anti-Semitism, which is very apparent in his writings. The kinds of things that he calls Jews at the end of his life in his writings are, are abhorrent. I mean, none of us would condone that. We would say, hey, that's, that's sin. Um, but here's the other thing. If racism was to be the, if, if that sin um, disqualified anything he taught, then uh, you could say the same thing about the apostles. And, and here's why. Sons of Thunder, John wants to call down fire on the Samaritans. Jesus looks at him and says, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. Well, what kind of spirit was he of? Racism, murder. So are we to not trust then the apostle John and anything he later says because he displays that kind of character? In the well, I think you'd say the same I, thing. And it was certainly repented of, I think, of the sons of thunder. I think that also could be said of Peter who repented, but uh, he would not eat with Gentiles when the Jews showed up. He would right. remove himself mm -hmm. from the table, um, which, again, seems to be a clear representation of favoritism, racism, maybe a peer pressure sort of racism. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I think I think that this is, to your point, probably repented over for Peter's sake, as we read Paul's account um, in Galatians chapter two. Um, but probably also repented of of the sons of thunder. Um, for Luther, unfortunately, we have no repentance on record for Luther. He goes apparently to the grave saying things like this about Jews. He says, uh, Verily, a hopeless, wicked, venomous, and devilish thing is the existence of these Jews who for the uh, for, <laughs> for 1,400 years have been and still are our torment and misfortune. Known Christians... Uh, that next to the devil, thou hast no enemy more cruel, more venomous, and violent than the Jews. Um, so when you come to you guys know that full like well, from don't you? Luther, that's that's <laughs> not good. Say that again. That's just oh, I was just thinking. This is how I've treated you guys, right? <laughs> You've experienced everything firsthand. Oh, I, good old basement I, boy. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Uh, we're, we're not gonna enter that space, Miller. No, <laughs> you're you're Jewish, so you can you can enter that space. I am not gonna enter that space. So, um, 
Yeah, but to your to your point, Luther, yes, he makes it's like you search in vain to find some sort of recant uh, recanting repentance of this, but you don't find it. And and the same for Jonathan Edwards. I could right behind me, I have uh, right there to a two volume set of Jonathan Edwards works and uh, and he has influenced so many people with his uh, his theology. His theology is amazing. Uh, I mean, I know not everybody has his same theology. I don't even have his same theology on eschatology. Um, but but my point is, he, he's incredible, an incredible theological thinker, uh, and and yet he owned six sla- six slaves. And there was an instance where a local church tried to excommunicate their pastor for uh, for owning slaves, and he sends a a letter of response saying they're hypocrites. And he says they're hypocrites because you buy things that were made by slaves. So, uh, what's the difference between you and somebody who owns slaves? But it, uh, it and and it just seems like, man, you're not looking at just the obvious thing of like the the dude is owning slaves in an age of chattel race-based slavery and you're cool with that. So that's a big problem. And, uh, and so we have Jonathan Edwards, we have Martin Luther and guys, we could go on and on. We just, we just picked those two because we, we happen to know John MacArthur thinks highly of Luther and, uh, and of Jonathan Edwards. And yet these two guys were racist. I don't know how to put it. Um, yeah, and I would say totally on the issue of racism, we can agree that it's wrong. We can agree that it's bad. When we look at Martin Luther, when we look at Charles Parham, and when we look at Jonathan Edwards, we can place them all in the same category of people who had hatred in their heart for their brother based on the pigment of their skin um, or their 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 heritage. Um, and, and on those grounds, we would look at those individuals and we'd say, hey, that's wrong, that's sinful, that's bad. However, we can't then say, all of Puritanism, because Jonathan Edwards was a respected Puritan, or all of Reformed theology or Protestantism in general, because Luther was the father of the Protestant movement, therefore is should be mistrusted because of this sinful characteristic. All that that shows us is that these men are deeply flawed and sinful, and in the midst of their flawed sinfulness, in their need of God's grace, God still used broken people in spite of their sin to do great things for God. I mean, if you look at the Hall of Faith, uh, that's always something that I, I'm encouraged by, and I encourage people who are in a place where they're wrestling with sin or they've stumbled into sin and they don't feel like God's grace is, is enough to cover them. I, would, I encourage them to go look at the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, right? You've got Rahab the harlot. You have Abraham who, to save his own skin, kind of lied about his wife and had other men take his wife. Um, you had Samson, who touched dead things he wasn't supposed to, you know, slept with Delilah, who he wasn't supposed to, um, you know, he's constantly doing, touching, you know, uh, grapes and vineyards that he wasn't supposed to. You had all these people. I mean, Hebrews 11 is basically a bunch of morally flawed people, one after the other after the other. Um, and, And these men and women were not deemed righteous by faithfulness. They were deemed righteous by faith. And they're woven into the story of redemptive history, not because they're great moral agents and that we should look to them as our moral example. No, it's actually the opposite. By, by seeing that, man, they're really morally corrupt, we can actually see the light of the gospel shine through that and say, wow, look what God did in the midst of their sinfulness. Um, you know, uh, the story of Esther came up in my Bible reading yesterday, read through the story of Esther, not a particularly like flattering story for Esther um, as, as far as morality goes. But in the midst of that, God used her to deliver the people of Israel. Again, not a morally spotless person. Uh, and I would just say of these characters, the same can be said. 
Um, we should reject any teaching and practice that is uh, aberrant from scripture. We should reject those things, resist those things, while still honoring God and seeing what God did through the lives of these sinful, sinful people in the midst of that. Um, that's the way that I would want to approach that. But I think that we could also cover some of the sexual stuff as well. Um, this is a uh, reference that I pulled in Strangers to Fire. This is a book that I reference a lot. Uh, Strangers to Fire is a response to John MacArthur's Strange Fire, written 50-something articles in here by a bunch of scholars and theologians that are pretty fantastic. In one of the articles by William D. Artiga, uh, he spends a little bit of time responding to this claim that Parham is sinful, therefore we shouldn't follow Parham, and compares it to the allegations made about John Knox. He says, personal sin uh, does not invalidate uh, the spiritual calling of and achievements of a person. For instance, it's also probably true, but not proven, that John Knox was the former uh, the former Scottish Presbyterian, had an affair with his mother-in-law. In contemporary times, uh. it has been revealed that Martin Luther King Jr. also cheated on his wife and plagiarized uh, his doctoral dissertation. So again, Martin Luther King Jr., John Knox, these are claims of sexual immorality. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., again, has got a, a litany of doctrinal errors as well that not worth getting into today, um, that we would, again, we would look at those things and we would say, no, we, we resist those. We don't agree with those. Those are aberrant from Christian faith. Um, however, God used John Knox to uh, mightily in the Presbyterian movement, and God used uh, Martin Luther King Jr. mightily in changing the kind of racial injustice that was taking place in America uh, with all of his aberrant views. And, and again, I, I don't I feel a little uncomfortable putting Martin Luther King Jr. in this context when I'm using someone else's quote. Um, he he had some theology uh, on the Trinity that that is definitionally heresy. And I don't mean that to discredit his works on social justice or anything like that, um, because those were legitimate works. However, from an objective Christian standpoint, his his position on the Trinity was well, was heretical. Um, I think so. I feel I feel weird, but I'm not, it's not my quote. It's someone yeah, else's. Yeah. What you're trying to point out, though, is the discrepancy with people's character, even doctrinal errors, and yet God still used them to do good things. Um, and the same thing is, but, but from, from MacArthur's camp, he's guilty by association. The moment you mess up, the moment that's the moment we discard your teachings. We should throw out all of David's Psalms for the same reasons, right? He, he cheated on uh, his wife. He, he had another man murdered and stole his wife. And so therefore, well, well should we trust what he has to say in the Psalms? Even his repentance prayers would not be good enough, I think, for John MacArthur by his standard. He's using uh, guilty by association and then conflating different categories. Um, so because one is guilty of this particular sin, then therefore anything this person may teach or ever say would not be true. Um, which is pretty, I mean, it, it's a pretty wild uh, chasm to jump yeah, uh, and, and a leap to make. Yeah, it is. But I mean... The original question was not even just uh, related to MacArthur and his especially claims about Parham, but even more broadly than that, are charismatics more immoral than non-charismatics? So let me just read you guys a list and, and you can respond because there is a bit of a list of... And this is the list that John MacArthur handled. brings up. I, I, I right. left some omissions that wouldn't be popular to ears. Yeah. So starting with May 1926, Amy Simple McPherson, uh, sexual scandal. We've done a whole episode on 
uh, on Amy and definitely encourage you guys to watch it, but got also used her in incredible ways. But let me keep the list going. Uh, 1970s and 80s, uh, Lonnie Frisbee. Maybe some of you saw the movie Je Jesus Revolution. It was fantastic, but homosexual sin died of AIDS. 1986, uh, faith healer Peter Popoff got caught listening in on a on an earpiece to give supposed word of knowledge words of knowledge divinely revealed facts about people in the audience and yet they, they were whispered into his ear so he was cheating to deliver his prophecies jimmy swaggart 1987 caught in the in the prostitute scandal i can see him right now teary eyes in his uh confession twice though uh, do you remember what's he that? repented for it he got he repented for it and then later yeah, was found in a car with a prostitute yeah yeah yeah. So then 91, uh, Bob Jones, we've talked a lot about him, but having women using his prophetic gift and Jones was legitimately prophetic and, uh, and yet he used his gift to have women undress. And, uh, I, it's terrible, but he did it. 1991. And I will say Bob Jones did repent, uh, later. Uh, we don't know that everyone on this list did, uh, Robert Tilton, uh, so raking in nope. eighty million dollars. <laughs> What's that? What's that? Oh, he definitely oh. didn't repent. He's still at it. Robert Tilton. Yeah, uh, Robert remember, Tilton. This is Robert Lierden. I mean, I was a Paul kid. Paul Kane. Yeah, Paul Kane. Ted Haggard. Todd Bentley. Most of these. Uh, most of these people caught in in sexual scandal. In fact, most of the ones I just named caught in homosexual sexual scandal. And uh, and you know, posing to be heterosexuals and so on. And so guys, this is a, this is a nasty mess spanning almost a century, almost to the founding of the charismatic or really Pentecostal movement. And, and so what do you say to this? Is, is there, is there not some point to the fact, man, charismatics are more immoral because the scandals keep cropping up in their camp, not ours, says John MacArthur. What do you guys say? I mean, Miller, if, if I could just take a second, can I, I want to agree, again, I want to make as much possible to agree with John that sure. these are bad, heinous, evil sins, and I want to agree with John that most of the charismatic movement did not rally together and say, we're not going to put up with this, right? Like, we, we have tolerated sin in the charismatic movement, and I hope to God that the charismatic movement as a whole will continue to grow up in such a way to have a deep level of discernment to say, hey, if, if you're going to be practicing sin and you're not going to be repentant of sin, that, that we're going to resist you as our teachers. Like that would be a good and righteous thing for the charismatic movement to stand up and do. I would agree 100%. Um, however, in the same breath of saying that, can I also say that the that Christendom in general right now in the West whether continuationist or cessationist, whether you're Westboro Baptist, which again, I'm going to emphasize Baptist, or, you know, you are, uh, you know, Hillsong United. Uh, you know, if you are the, the young man, uh, Josh Duggard, you know, who was caught with, with like child pornography and evil, evil, wicked things. Like if you're, if you're in that space in a cessationist movement or you're a continuationist caught, you know, prophesying people to take off their clothes. I mean, it's deeply disgusting whether you are uh, a, a, a cessationist or a continuationist. Sin is sin and it's evil and it's bad. And we're in a pandemic in the West of calling what's good evil and what's calling evil good. And it's wrong. And, and we, ha we can't put up with it anymore. And I hope that the charismatics will watch a video like this and not just say, well, look at these cessationists, you know, 
they're trying to pick fights with us when they're just as bad. Um, I hope that they get convicted and grieved and said, wow, these people are still in ministry. Wow, we're still tolerating these people. We're still going to conferences where these guys are getting up and they haven't repented of their sin. They haven't repented of their prophecies. And we're going to resist tolerating and empowering that kind of stuff. I hope that that is partially the reaction to this kind of video. But I would say um, that I don't think that the charismatic movement, because of these examples that MacArthur has given, are any more guilty or any more frequent of sins than that are taking place in cessationist spaces. Miller, what do you think? I mean, I think the fact is you're going to see sin anywhere you see people, um, unfortunately, and that that's all of us. Um, you know, the big thing about it is, and this is uh, this is something that Jack always taught really well. I mean, Michael, you probably remember this sermon, but I remember when he taught on walking in the light. And he said, you know, the, the defining characteristic of a Christian should hopefully be not that he lives a sinless life, but rather that when he sins, he exposes it and is repentant, that he's always bringing forward uh, his mm-hmm. sins. Um, and, and including when he, when he says walking the light, he's, he thinks John is saying not walking absent from sin, but walking with sin exposed. And I think the best way to do that, just in a general sense, is is constantly bringing in my thoughts, my uh, inner motivations, the desires and insecurities and things that are ungodly, and and always displaying those to trusted friends uh, within the, the community of faith. And I, the tough thing is, I just think you see it everywhere. And I, I tend to think where you see even more sin is when people are, uh, they're not able to share freely what is going on in their hearts, where they have to perform. It's in those places that you find yourself in deeper sin, not necessarily in charismatic or cessationist churches. It's where you're not free to actually expose what's going on inside. Amen. And I think that when we look at these claims, we can probably assume all the mention- names that he mentioned are people who are on television people who are connected with big revivals. Um, They had platform and prestige, if you will. Uh, They were leveraging radio and television in ways that many non-cessationists really weren't leveraging to the same capacity. Charismatics have really been early adopters when it comes to technology and breaking into those spaces. And because of that, I think that they were platformed. And the reason that all of these sins were super public had a lot to do with their public platforms. Um, now, all of this has been conjecture and opinion. Charismatics are falling at the same rate as cessationists. Um, Roundtree, would, do you have any kind of objective, factual evidence that, hey, cessationists over here, people who are widely known to being cessationist denominations, are, are also getting busted for sexual sins? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely out there. The obvious one is the SP the SBC sexual uh, abuse scandal, which is, uh, has been massive. Uh, we've got, uh, so February 10th, 2019, a report found 380 clergy, lay leaders, volunteers facing allegations of sexual mi- misconduct, uh, 700 victims since 1998. And that, and that's just what is reported. And in my opinion, the worst aspect of it, well, I don't know how do you, I don't know how you rank it, but just as bad as anything is, uh, is the fact that, there was such a cover-up uh, because, well, we don't want to. We don't want to make the church look bad. We don't want to lose our power. And so, these people who are uh, who against whom credible sexual misconduct allegations were made, it was swept under the rug, and then they're shipped off to another church to abuse more people. And 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 so, this is in the SBC, which is very. Uh, I mean, which is pretty much cessationist. I know there are a few SBC churches well, out there that would say they believe in um, gifts, but. 
Yeah, Miller. Nomination. Okay, I don't know. He's kind of breaking. Oh, up, I'm sorry. So. Uh, I think I got a little bit of a lag. Yeah. Try again, Miller. And it's. Oh, I was just gonna say, basement. isn't uh, doesn't John MacArthur come from the Baptist denomination? He's an American Calvinist Baptist. Yeah. Uh, I think. So this I is his think his background is Bible Church. I could be really wrong, but I. Th I th he might have a Baptist no, background. No, no, I thought no. he believe. I thought he was Baptist, but I I don't know. <laughs> uh, but it really here, doesn't uh, matter. Here, got, the the point is, up. the point is that a cessationist denomination is caught in the same stuff and doing the same stuff. And I think what's really disappointing about uh, about MacArthur's approach. Okay, so he has a list that feels overwhelming because there are twelve or fifteen major charismatic leaders. Uh, but if you think about it, okay, 12 to 15 people over the course of 90 years or so, well, this report had 380 clergy, so they were leaders. And so we could make that same list. And it's just that, that these people had a bigger following. And so it got more headlines. And honestly, they weren't as good at covering it up as the Baptists were. And so does that make them like less holy? No, it doesn't. And so uh, it all came to roost for the Southern Baptists. And uh, hey, I got lots of Southern Baptist friends who love the Lord and are not in any way part of that. So that's not like to cast shade on so the Southern Baptist denomination as a whole and all the people in it. Uh, but those who led this whole deal are very guilty. And I, and I think that uh, what, what is extremely disappointing is to, to even make such a claim that charismatics are more immoral to, to make that kind of claim, you would need to be able to say like, hey, there has been some sort of scouring evaluation and search of pretty like a large sample size of cessationists and a large sample size of charismatics. And we delved into their moral lives. And dang, it just turns out that cessationists are holier. They're 20% holier, according to the latest <laughs> Barna poll. I mean, you would need something like that. But such an idea is ridiculous because holiness goes down to the level of the heart. I mean, so how do you even measure that? So he takes something completely immeasurable and just names some unholy people and then puts all charismatics in the same camp. And it's just... It's actually an incredibly unholy thing that John MacArthur did there. Uh, you know, we did this episode a couple, I, I guess, was it last week with Francis Chan on the unity of the church. Um, Proverbs chapter six, it lists uh, seven things the Lord hates. And the seventh, the top of the list is sowing strife. I mean, after shedding innocent blood and telling lies, um, is it what tops the list is sowing strife among brothers. And this is just sowing strife. It's actually evil what he did, in my opinion. That's I'm just going to put that out there. I think that is completely evil to paint charismatic Pentecostals in this giant broad brush in a uh, with anecdotal support and no no real statistical evidence. Mm. Miller, you had something about the I agree. his background, right? Uh, well, I just know that he grew up and I think he was ordained in the Baptist denomination, though I think his current church is not. It's non-denominational. Um, but, but I would agree with Roundtree in that I think John MacArthur does so strife. I, I don't know how else you can say it. I mean, he, he, he would put you and the, all of us on this podcast in a camp saying these guys are not believers. 
uh, he oh, would lump us he in wouldn't, with I don't think he'd go that far. There's a lot of there's a lot of videos of MacArthur saying, you know, not all Charismatics and Pentecostals are wrong. He would say that I think he would say all Charismatics and Pentecostals might be dangerous, but they're brothers. I, but but I I concede the ground that it's still. But the point is, the, the calling calling all Charismatics dangerous because of their continuationism is sowing strife. It's warning sure. people to stay away from anybody like us on a podcast. Like, don't listen to what those guys have to say. They're dangerous. Um, so he's just carte blanche discredited uh, all of us here on this show simply because we believe the gifts have continued. Uh, and I would accuse him well, not just of yeah, strife, but, but also but not of even that, nullifying because the word I, of God. But Miller, I could actually even like, for a cessationist who said, hey, stay away from the remnant radio guys. They teach... Uh, you know, they teach the continuation of spiritual gifts, and we think that's really bad. I expect a cessationist to say that, to teach their flock that. I don't think it's yeah. good. I very much disagree with it. I consider them my brothers. But what MacArthur do, is doing, I think, is categorically worse, okay? Because what what he's doing is not just saying, hey, I don't like their theology, and I feel like it's dangerous. It leads you down a bad path. Okay, I expect cessationists to say that. He goes to the next level and says they're actually worse people. Their hearts are darker and more corrupt. If you want to just take a scale of who's the who are the most evil people, it's going to be more continuationist than cessationist. And so he makes a false and unprovable claim and lumps those who don't fit that category at all, millions of them, into that place. And let's not forget the charismatic Pentecostal movement. It's the fastest growing movement on the planet. Lots of people are, are getting saved. Are we just going to put them all into this category? Because Amy Simple McPherson in 1926 committed some sexual sin. Like, well, you know, Amy did it. And, you know, Robert Tilton and, you know, had his financial issues. Well, uh, I guess these charismatics getting saved over in India. Well, they're like that, too. I mean, it's just, it's nonsensical. It's sowing strife and that's evil. Yeah, let's uh, wrap up because we talked about the three areas that we were going to talk about in our broadcast. Number one, origins, talking about Charles Parham. Number two, are charismatics just in general more a practicing of sexual immorality? And three, we've kind of already touched on this one a little bit. Are charismatics willing to put up and tolerate with sin to a capacity that others in other denominations and other movements aren't willing to put up with sin. Uh, here's a quote from John MacArthur. It says, but in spite, and this is again from Strange Fire, uh, uh, but in spite of the biblical requirements for ministers to be above reproach in the charismatic world, uh, gross moral and ethical failures don't necessarily mean disqualification for public ministry. In these circles, the reproach of scandal like this has a shocking, shockingly short shelf life. And again, to credit John MacArthur, of the examples he gave, such as Robert Slearden, such as, um, oh, what's Todd Bentley, such as some Todd of Bentley. these who, you know, uh, it's Jimmy Swagger, again, very quickly jumped right back into ministry. And there was a very short shelf life when it came to their scandal. So I want to actually agree with John MacArthur on those grounds. But again, I just don't think it's fair weights to say the charismatic movement does this. I think it would be fair to say right now, Christians in the West do this. And again, I don't mean to pick any fights. I don't want to bear false witness or be accusatory in any way. But John MacArthur right now uh, is kind of in the back of scandal after scandal after scandal. I mean, um, right now there are accusations that MacArthur's home is millions of millions of dollars. And, you know, there's been these satellite shots of his kind of mansion-esque 
property that he owns as he's been dumping on guys like Tilton for breaking in $80 million in their ministry. It seems like John MacArthur himself is financially prospering by the millions from his salary. Now, granted, California is an expensive place to live. You know, I don't know what he's doing with his home. You know, it could be to the glory of God. He's letting kids come into his backyard and play basketball and is helping people, you know, uh, I know a guy who owns a mansion and he uses every square inch of that mansion for homeless people and cares for them and and helps autistic kids ride on horses. I mean, he just uses every ounce of what he has to the glory of God. And I don't know John MacArthur's life, but if we're going to look into the lives of these charismatics, the way that we're looking in the life of John MacArthur, he seems to be equally as guilty um, by his standards, not by mine necessarily. Because again, man, MacArthur, what you do with your money, what you do with your land, your property, that's between you and God. Additionally, one of the bigger things that's happening recently is his son was caught in kind of a fraud kind of scandal. Um, You'd have to look this up on your own. uh, But MacArthur has fired multiple people whose children have gone off and done sinful things because he makes the claim that uh, that a a minister has to be adult children. They're adult children who fall into sin of any kind Um, that that he has to be above reproach. You know, his household has to be in order. And if your 30 year old child, you know, divorces and commits adultery on her husband or on his wife, uh, then you are excommunicated or not excommunicated, but you are removed from eldership. So he's removed people from what I understand from positions of seminary leadership. Uh, He's removed people that were on his elder team from leadership because they weren't above reproach because their adult children had gone off and done sinful things. But I don't think MacArthur's church is holding him to the same standard that they're holding these other people to when his adult child goes off and does sinful things. So again, it, it seems as if the claim that charismatics aren't holding their own people accountable kind of falls on deaf ears when it's being said by MacArthur, who recently has been doing the very thing that he's accusing charismatics of doing and not being consistent well, with their systems of judgment. Uh, I'll push back a little bit on this, Josh, not so much on the John MacArthur, but I think he's, he's, t- he's not wrong in saying that charismatics are relatively poor at holding their own accountable. I agree with um, that. I mean, part of the reason we started doing this podcast was because we felt like the critiques coming against continuationist were mostly coming from cessationist and they actually had some good critiques and it would be great if the charismatics would actually on some level call out their own and hold them accountable and so we started doing this prophetic review videos for that very reason because here's all these people prophesying all these crazy things that never come to pass and they never publicly own it or repent they just keep doing another video every year um and so on some level like we we actually started doing some of these episodes to be like yep the the greatest argument against the gifts from cessationists uh, are bad charismatic practices. And so we wanted to be genuine in calling out bad charismatic practices while at the same time not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I do think that, that MacArthur's he's probably not the most trustworthy voice to listen to when it comes to what those standards should be, though, because he doesn't seem to live by his own standards. And, and yeah. I think I, I started with that kind of rant is to say I agree with MacArthur, but I think that it's broader than just charismatics don't hold their people accountable. It feels like right now in the West, we live in um, defend your leader kind of um, we, we live in group think tribalism and we defend our leader at all cost. We pretend like they can do no evil. And across the board, Christianity in the West right now just feels like a we don't hold our leaders accountable right now. It just feels like that in general. Um, so yes, I agree. The charismatics are well, doing a lot it, of public accusation broadly... and whistleblowing right now. Yeah. Correct, I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, guys, we had this discussion and our viewers, listeners don't necessarily know this, but back in the spring, we were, we were kind of talking amongst ourselves like, hey, we've done a lot kind of trying to speak into the charismatic movement. And we've been speaking into, hey, you know what, we got to get better at correction and accountability. And we've got to get better at uh, the way we do prophetic ministry uh, as, a, as a movement. We've got to get better uh, at these things. And we, we've been calling these things out for a while. And we thought, you know what, we, we've just kind of taken it for granted that we're continuationists and not cessationists. We haven't done a whole lot on cessationism in a long time. And so that's why really for the last couple of months, we've been releasing these videos on cessationism because we have for so long been addressing continuationism. And I, I think like where this all comes down, guys, is that there are problems with continuationists. There are problems with cessationists. There are problems with all of us. Let's just correct the problems where we see them. And let's not paint with a broad brush our brothers and sisters in Christ and with poorly made arguments. Let's just say, hey, I thought I, that is abusive when you did that right there. That's an untrue statement when you say that right there. Let, uh, let's shepherd each other. Like, let's speak into each other's lives like that as brothers and sisters in Christ. But uh, but I think what, what MacArthur does is is below the belt and he's honestly not a great representative representative of cessationists there are much more responsible cessationist voices out there Mm -hmm. that express concerns about the charismatic movement in a in a way where they're not demonizing uh they're they're even considering charismatics their brothers and sisters in christ even if they think that we're on a dangerous path um in terms of our theology that, but they're like, but they're measured and they're kind. And I would say MacArthur is neither of those. So that's what I, I think would be my concern with him. But I definitely don't want us, I don't want to paint all cessationists as though they're MacArthur, no. uh, MacArthurites, because they're definitely not. And please don't hear us saying that. 100%. The only reason we're using MacArthur yeah. is I think he is saying what a lot of people are thinking when people speak of the charismatic movement, they often speak of the kind of undercurrent of sexual immorality that is prevalent within the movement that is often publicized because of media and the platform that these people have. So we've only responded to MacArthur, not because he's, again, this big, bad cessationist guy that we're looking to pick a fight with, but because he articulated what everybody was thinking internally, what everyone has kind of been saying through the ether. He said it publicly in his book. So um, if you're looking to find some source material on the quotes that we pulled, you can find them in Strange Fire by John MacArthur, written in chapters two, three, and four. Um, he tackles doctrines and other things later on in the book, um, but uh, those are primarily addressing origins and practices of immorality. Um, so you'll see all of that stuff there if you wanted to go pick that up and look for the source material yourself. But I'd also encourage you to pick up Strangers to Fire if you're going to pick up John MacArthur's Strange Fire. I would pick up Strangers to Fire and follow the arguments. John makes some statements um, that again, are overstated to prove his point. And, and those overstatements are just not true. And I think that you can find those in Strangers to Fire as they, they pull that up. Guys, do you have any kind of closing thoughts today? Um, I, I think we've said it over and over again. Charismatics are not better than cessationists. Cessationists are not better than um, continuationists. We're both sinners in need of God's saving grace. Um, we need the redemptive power of God in our lives. And in the midst of our sin, God can still get glory God can still teach truth in the midst of our brokenness. Um, and, and we need Christ all the more for it. So um, that's how I would kind of leave our show. Do you guys have anything you would want to add to that? Uh, I think I would just finish with, 
I love my cessationist brothers and sisters. I love you. That's all. Amen. Miller? Uh, no, I mean, I think one of the things, there's, there's a lot of chatter in the chat about slandering John MacArthur and his use of finances. That are These are just allegations. I think I just want to quickly leave a little comment on that. We're not actually saying that he's guilty of any sin when it comes to finances. What we're trying to say is that he deems people guilty because of allegations. So if we're to hold him to the same standard that he's holding others to, then he would be guilty by the allegations come against him. I actually don't think he's probably guilty of any financial impropriety. I, I have no idea. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Also, say if his kid was guilty of financial impropriety, I wouldn't hold John MacArthur. I wouldn't hold John MacArthur yeah, responsible for something his adult child is doing. I just think it's inconsistent for him to do that to others and then not do it to himself. That that's those yeah. are the kinds of concerns that I have. So um, anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. As you've heard, we're talking about in some sense, kind of policing the charismatic movement. That's one of the reasons that we started the Word and Spirit School of Ministries, because we wanted to make sure that there was a way that we could train people in the gifts of the Spirit without all of the hype and not all of the kind of maybe charismatic chaos that comes along with the gifts of the Spirit. We're kind of in that third wave, uh, Jack Deere, uh, Sam Storms, Craig Keener vibe of charismaticism, where we're looking to to find a balance between right orthodox and practice, while also giving people the opportunity to grow and train in those spiritual gifts. So if you're interested in taking this course, WSSM is available right now, the Word and Spirit School of Ministry. Links can be found in the description. You can join the over 300 students who've already taken the course. Uh, we have opportunity to watch over 117 videos, have live Q&A with your instructors, and break out into small groups to practice the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, again, I've got a lot of cessationists in the comments because of today's video, so I have to preface. When I say practice the gifts of the Spirit, I do not have a video of Miller saying, I should have bought a Honda, but a but a Kia, and then you have to repeat that phrase after him. Uh, we're not teaching you how to speak in tongues. We're teaching you the biblical foundations of those tongues, and they're praying and asking God to empower us in those ways. So we're not, anyway, all that to say, if you have problems with my articulation of this, you probably haven't watched a ton of Remnant Radio. Anyway, blessings, guys. We'll see you next time. Go uh, watch other videos. <laughs> uh, go watch other videos. You know, that'll answer those questions. Uh, can you train in the gift? So uh, from three or sorry, 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time, we create content on Mondays and Wednesdays. We're excited to be going to Anaheim shortly to be filming maybe a series on the history of the Vineyard Revival. It's going to be exciting. So you guys stay tuned for that series. And we'll see you next Monday. Blessings. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.